Hey, my name's Steve, as Robbie said. Uh, what a great privilege to come before you tonight, be able to share the word of the Lord, and especially after such a big rap. Thanks, mate. That's uh, really appreciate that. And look, hey, that, that offer is out there. If you'd love to catch up for lunch if, or coffee, I, I'm always up for that. So that'd be, uh, that'd be fantastic. It'll always appreciate that opportunity to uh, catch up with some of the crew. So, hey, um, as Robbie said, you know, I was, I've been reading through Isaiah and we, we do read through a book of the Old Testament and the New Testament concurrently is in our devotional life. And mate, don't beat yourself up because I remember what it was like when I had the little ones. I wasn't always this good. We're empty nesters these days, so it's, uh, it's a whole lot easier maintaining your devotional life when you don't have the little ones snapping at your heels, you know. In fact, in Isaiah, there's a scripture that says, the Lord leads gently those who have young. And so bear that in mind, those of you who've got little ones. God leads you gently and he's, he doesn't belt you up just because you um, you know, don't always get the devotional thing happening as we should. The intention's there, that's great. Uh, let's just come in prayer as we, uh, we open up this morning, uh, this evening rather. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Father, that you've been with us in worship tonight as we've uh, just taken the time to lift up the name of Jesus and exalt you in this place. Father, that you would... Uh, through that, Lord, having opened our hearts, now receive the seed of your word planted deep within us. Oh God, glorify your name through your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As I say, reading through Isaiah, 66 chapters, it's a big book. It's uh, At times you grind through it, uh, particularly all those chapters around uh, you know, this idolatry and rebellion and, and judgment and uh, but then it gives way in the latter parts of the book into uh, promises of hope, story of the Saviour who is to come. And near the end of the book of Isaiah, I was struck the other day when I was reading it. I've heard, read it before, but again, it just struck me. That there's this remarkable prayer that Isaiah p- prays. And it's the focus of the passage I'd like to take us to today. But first, let me just paint a picture, which might help maybe just shed a little bit of light on, what I, on the imagery of, of what uh, I think was happening here for Isaiah. It was, I spent a weekend away with the family, probably, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, something like that. It was down uh, beyond Foster, sort of above Tura, if you know that area, South Gippsland. And, and up there, we were up on a high hill, and then it went, the, from the hill, it actually went down onto some plains that went out toward the ocean to Port Welshpool, beyond uh, out the ocean, and then to the northern part of Wilson's Promontory. And it was a beautiful part of the world. And as we stood up there on that hill, you could see essentially the patchwork of these paddocks, a dairying country in that part of the world, and lovely green, and it was, a, it was a sort of a sunny day, but with these puffy cumulus clouds getting around. And as you could, on the, from this vantage point, you could actually see from those clouds how they would cast their shadow down upon these, this patchwork of, of paddocks. And I'm sure you're familiar with that imagery of, of those um, clouds moving across, and you see the shadows. It was one of those days, I think it was Queen's birthday, so it was winter, it was reasonably chilly, but it was quite pleasant in the sun. And so that when the sun was out, it was warm, when the clouds came over, there was a bit of a chill that descended upon, uh, upon the uh, atmosphere. And so you had these areas that were flooded with light and warmth, and you had these other parts which were shadowy and grey and where the chill had set in. And church is a little like that. Our personal walk with God sometimes can be like that. There are times when we feel, I guess, that, that the shadows of uh, cares of this world and things that happen, which essentially, uh, in, in many respects, we, we also experience God uh, like that. It's not to say God changes, but our experience of God changes. In fact, 
I'd say that throughout history, historically and even geographically, and, and I'd say even as much as personally, we don't always experience the power of God distributed evenly. In fact, Amos 4 of 7 says it this way. God says, I sent rain on one town but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none, and it dried up. So it's God's prerogative to actually do what he will. He will send rain on one, he'll withhold from another, and, and so it is. And sometimes it's like that. I dare say even tonight, amongst us, there'll be some here actually going pretty well in God, and there are others who actually is as dry as chips. You're really struggling. You're going through some hard times. Now, last week, Matt reminded us again that, uh, that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That salt, if it loses its savour, it's good for nothing because, and it's to be cast out, trodden underfoot by men. The reality is the church is the agent of God's redemption in the world. He has no plan B. We are it. You know, we're not like the Boy Scouts. We're not like the Rotary Club. We're not like any political party or anything of that nature. The church is unique in God's economy. And so it is that Isaiah's prayer teaches us as God's agents of redemption, in those places where the shadows, where those clouds uh, come down, it teaches us to pray something, a prayer that is bold, a prayer that is filled with faith, and it's a prayer for God to come down and visit us in a fresh new way. Now, the context of this passage, now, it depends, different scholars are divided on the timing of, of how Isaiah is broken up. Now, some place this part of Isaiah in the post-exilic period. Some place it before as a way of looking forward. Now, it's, that's not relevant to what we're doing today, but even if it is before, it's Isaiah projecting forward, looking at what, is to, what was about to take place. And he's speaking as if it's already occurred. And in that being the case, he's saying Ju- Judah had actually been conquered. It was happened in the 6th century BC. Babylon, this powerful and vigorous and vibrant and, and, and triumphant nation had actually completely overthrown the, um, the city of Jerusalem and the, that whole nation of Judah. And it's, in that sense was gloating over its victory because the forces of evil that Babylon represented had overthrown God's holy people. And that, that moral order that God had created for his people had been tipped on its head. And so you get Jerusalem, the holy city where God was to dwell and have his, have his presence amongst his people. It had been plundered and the temple had been ransacked and the ministries of the temple had halted. God's people, in fact, like those clouds, were living in the shadows. And it's from there they cry out to God. So we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 63 and read from verse 15. And this is where the prayer of Isaiah reaches up, where he says, Look down from heaven and see. From your lofty throne, holy and glorious. And he asks this question. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. You know, there's a certain desperation in this prayer from Isaiah. He's saying, look down, God, from heaven and see. Look at our plight. There's that sense in which they they felt at least that God had forsaken them, even though, of course, he hadn't. But from where they sat, they felt like God had turned a deaf ear. And and I'm sure there are times when you feel like that too, when evil seems to have the upper hand and when it feels like it's hard to get a win. 
We'll ask those same questions like Isaiah, like, Lord, where is your zeal and your might? God's zeal, you know, he's, he's loving intensity that he comes to us with and his might, like his power and his strength. And we ask, where are your tenderness? Where is your compassion? You know, those, that, that compassion, that sympathy that God has for his people. And we wonder, you know, why is it like this, God? And we have this sense of disconnect between what we read of God in the Bible and what we're experiencing in him here in reality in this world. It creates this tension that exists within us. It's a tension that actually is good for us because it draws us near to God. It actually draws us back into our, to call upon our understanding of God because we know that he's zealous. We know that he's mighty. We know that he's tender. We know that he is compassionate. And yet, you know, it's, it's in this place where these fresh stirrings come again because we long for God. And it's out of that deep, that deep pain, feeling that sense of incongruity between that which is the heavenly reality and that which is our earthly experience. And so it is, like Isaiah, it actually draws us back into our relationship with God. And is not that the purpose of why we are called as his people, to have relationship? So let's hear the next words of Isaiah's prayer because he calls out and talk about relationship. He says this, but you are our father. You, Lord, are our father. We are your children. Though Abraham does not know us or Israel acknowledge us. You know, Abraham and, and, and Israel, in this case, uh, interpreted maybe as Jacob. Jacob, like the patriarchs, essentially what he's saying is the forefathers, those who came before us, wouldn't even recognize us if they looked at us today. We've fallen that far from God's glory. But he goes on, you, O Lord, are our father. There it is again. Our redeemer of old is your name. In other words, they're crying out and saying, God, we know who you are. You are a good God. Your promises are true. You are faithful. You haven't changed. You are our redeemer of old. You are our defender and we're crying out to you. We know that you're faithful even when we're faithless. We know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that we have strayed and we no longer resemble your people and we feel the distance that's come as a result. You know, this prayer, it's faith rising up. Isaiah laying hold of God and out of that place of desperation and out of his need. And it's out of that place, this is where faith really starts to mean something. It's okay to have faith in the good times, but when, when we're in the hard times, that's when we cling to God. That's when faith really starts to really mean something. Last time I preached, I spoke of the Screwtape Letters, this book by the C.S. Lewis from the 1940s. And it was, a, it was this sort of... Um, satirical sort of uh, writing that he wrote, uh, speaking this conversation between two devils, a senior devil and a junior, and basically looking down upon the plight of a Christian and plotting his downfall. And this is what the senior devil says to the junior in that book. He says this, sooner or later, God withdraws. If not in reality, at least in their conscious experience, all his supports and incentives he goes on further, he says, the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those that please him best. So the devil knows, the devil knows. And he says, our cause, that's his cause, the devil's, is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring but still intending to do God's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and yet still obeys. 
As I say, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where mature faith comes in. There's that sense in which all trace of God has vanished and we feel forsaken and yet we lay hold of God and we still obey. We reach out in faith. Let's read on in Isaiah's prayer. He says, Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we do not revere you? Why indeed do we wander from God's ways? It's interesting that he lays the blame, or the blame, the responsibility, if you will, upon God's shoulders for the hardness. Why, O Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts? You know, when we reject or neglect God or rebel against him, and we feel that he withdraws his support from us, he's actually not left us forsaken, but he's, actually, he's making us acutely feel that distance. It's like those shadows of the clouds that we've been that come over us and we're unable to see God or feel God's glory. Just as in that moment where the sun's still shining above the clouds in those days, but we're seeing the shadows cast and it's blocking out. We're shielded from the warmth and the light of the sun, in this case of God. And God wants us to actually lament that condition, to be dissatisfied with it, to feel the pang of that separation. But then, as solemn as that warning is, there's an equally inspiring hope as we read on. Because if it's God can harden us, it can also make us tender again. Let's read verse 17 of that, that uh, Isaiah 63. When he cries out, return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance. Return for the sake of your servants. God, without you, we're doomed. The tribes that are your inheritance. In other words, God's people, those who bear his name. God, this is about your reputation. Return for the sake of your servants. And this is where, you know, where God turns us from hardness towards tenderness. And it's this is where we get to the crux of what I want to share today, which is we turn now to Isaiah 64. And this is where he gets serious, if he's not serious already. And this is what he cries out. He cries out, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Can you hear the desperation? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Do you ever feel like that? You ever feel like you'd want God to come down and intervene? That you get desperate? That you want the mountains to quake and tremble before God? A sense in which God would take a hold of that cosmic veil that stands between us and him, or at least as it seems, and rip that in his strong hands from top to bottom and step down into the world. It's a call upon him who rides the heavens, almighty God, the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present to come and intervene into our situation. I love this psalm, Psalm 18, which I'll just read to you. It won't be on the screen, but Psalm 18. I love this because it's a guy who's crying out to God in desperation again. And he says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him even to his ears. It's like he's got God's attention. He's crying out to God. He wants God to intervene. But this is how God responds, and I love this. He says, Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills were quaked, uh, also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. 
the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He set out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. That's our God. That's our God when he gets stirred, when his kids start to cry out to him, when we get serious with God, he responds in kind like that. It's like a mama bear coming out to rescue her cubs. It's like when he said, that's one of my kids crying out to me down there who's in trouble and I stir myself from my heaven and I'm going to come down and pay a fresh visitation and do something. Oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. The mountains would tremble before you. It's like the prayer Jesus taught us, that your kingdom come, your will be done, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Tear those heavens open that the mountains would shake. You know, those age-old, well-entrenched, difficult-to-move things that stand in resistance to God, let those things tremble before God. It goes on in the prayer. As when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. You know, when fire comes, twigs have no uh, uh, resistance to the fire. They are set ablaze. Water cannot do anything but to boil because of the heat of the fire. And so it is when God moves, the evil that we can't budge, the things that we can't get over, God comes in his fire and he sets those twigs ablaze. He causes those, the water to boil. And it goes on, come down, again that word, come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. You know, we want that, don't we? We want to see God's name glorified. We want to see his name lifted up. We want to see the arrogant and the proud and the godless who, who elevate themselves above the church and who mock. We want to see those things quake before our God, that these enemies might bow the knee and acknowledge his great and holy name. And verse 3, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect... God does awesome things that we did not expect. You came down, there it is again, and the mountains trembled before you. See, get ready, people. God can and will do incredible things, things that we did not expect when he comes down. You know, the Bible puts it this way in another part in the New Testament where where he says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. When God moves, God does good things. God does great things. God does the things that only God can do. And he goes beyond beyond anything that we might conceive in our puny little minds. God does exceedingly abundantly above. Like on Pentecost, when the day came, the Spirit of God fell. I mean, they were amazed and perplexed, it tells us. They were utterly amazed, it tells us in Acts 2.7. That's what it's like when God pays a visitation to his people. He surprises us. In fact, God is full of surprises. So let's not let our narrow conceptions of God be, you know, shroud our, be shrouded by our own expectations because God can and will do awesome things that we do not expect. Let's read on. Isaiah is still praying. It says, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. If you want God to do awesome things, if you want God to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, it's when we wait upon him. God acts on those who wait, 
those who are patient in the face of delays, those who accept that God will do it his way and in his timing. And he goes on in the prayer. You come to the help of those who gladly do right. Not only those who wait, but those who do right. In other words, people who are obedient, people who know the will of God and they do it, people whose hearts are yielded to him, people whose lives are submitted in honour of him. And there's a third thing that God does. He not only comes to those who wait, he not only comes to those who gladly do right, but he goes on, those who remember your ways. Those who recall the things of God, those who know God, those who read his word, those who understand him, those who have their hearts set on him, those who choose to walk in his ways, they are the people that God reveals himself to in power. Let's read on in the prayer. But when we continued to sin against them, that's God's ancient ways, when we continued to sin against God's revealed will, you were angry. And he asked the question, how then can we be saved? How on earth can we be saved? I mean, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. How then can we be saved? The Philippian jailer asked that same thing of Paul and Silas. You know, sirs, how can, we, how can I be saved? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your whole household. But if we want God to do awesome things. We want his salvation. We want to be delivered. But there's a slight problem, and it's our sin goes on in Isaiah 64 verse 6. It says, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and the wind, and like the wind rather, our sins sweep us away. You know, instead of the power of God, we're overthrown by another power. There's another power at work, which is the crippling power of sin. It causes people to shrivel up like a leaf that the wind would then just only blow away and sweep away. When our hearts lead us astray, when we're driven in directions that we never intended to go because we've yielded ourselves to wrongdoing, can't expect God to bless that. God comes to the obedient, to those who are submitted, those who wait. But when we get into that place of sin, that's what brings separation, of course, because the holy can't, dwell with the unholy we don't have it within ourselves to seek God in fact all our righteous acts are like filthy rags it says or in Isaiah elsewhere it says we're all like sheep we've gone astray and returned to our, our own way but God, thankfully Isaiah doesn't end there because his next move is to direct his prayer, his prayer back to God's mercy isn't that the great place to go when we're confronted with our sin, when we're confronted with our frailty, our humanity, we come back to God's mercy. We come back to our relationship with God. We come back and remember his faithfulness. Let's read on. Yet, O oh Lord, you are our Father. There it is again, relationship. You're our Father. We're your kids. We are the clay. You are the potter. We're all the work of your hand. You see, the one who is our father is also referred here to as the potter. See, not only is he the one who acts with fatherly compassion, but he also acts with artistic freedom like a potter would. He takes the clay and he lovingly fashions fashions us into the likeness of his son. 
through stretching and through pressure, God shapes us according to his design into the vessel that he wants us to be. If I could invite the band, if you would, come, thanks. As Ephesians 2 would put it, we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. See, we yield ourselves under the hand of God. Now, let me just conclude with this last little part of Isaiah's prayer where he appeals to God and says, appeals to God's mercy, where he says, do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray. For we, we are all your people. We are God's people. We have the privilege of being called his children. And he is our father and we cry out to him. God, our father, we, his children, God in compassion, come and look upon us. See, our father, he he waits, he longs, he draws us from complacency and indifference. And he brings us into that place of relationship yet again. Tonight, as we, as I draw this to a conclusion, it's a relatively short message today, but I just would want to invite you to respond in your own way to God. It might be that you'd like to come forward. In fact, I would encourage you to come forward and just do business with God. If something that's today spoken to your heart, if you're feeling that sense of distance, the clouds have shadowed over your life, and you're feeling as though you'd like you need to come back. You know, like Isaiah, you cry out to God, where are zeal? Where are your might? Where, oh Lord, is your tenderness and compassion? I don't feel it anymore. It's withheld from me. God who feels distant, your prayers just hit the ceiling. The Reading the Bible's like chomping on chaff and it's dry and it's hard. And we're asking ourselves, God, where are you? And cry out like Isaiah and say, Oh Lord, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. Come down into my life, into my situation. Maybe you just, God, I need a breakthrough. God, I've been praying for this thing and I for months, for years, and I'm just longing for you to come and visit me again in this place. Whether it's in your work, your relationships, your health, your finances, emotional things, whatever, spiritually, whatever that place of brokenness or breakthrough that you need. Like Isaiah, when he cried out, let the mountains tremble before him. God, come and do awesome things that we did not expect. If that's you tonight, I invite you to come forward too as we we go into our final song and cry out to God and say, oh Lord, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. Quite possibly you're feeling that distance because sin is in your life. Maybe through thoughts, deeds, words. Maybe there's something that you've been involving yourself in and you feel like your faith has shriveled up like that leaf and the wind is sweeping you away. You know, God is merciful. We've heard it tonight. If we come before him and repent before God, then he will come and visit you afresh. Come and pray, oh, that you'd rend the heavens, Lord, and come down. 
Maybe you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Maybe you've never invited him to come into your heart. Maybe this is the first time you've been hearing things like this and you want to, you say, Steve, I want to, I want to accept this, Jesus. I want this gift that God has given me. I've heard about it, but I need to respond. And you come tonight too. If you want to come and surrender, maybe for the first time or rededicate your life to God, that you might come into that personal relationship with God and know him as your own father. You know, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, it says. There's not one who's righteous. No, not one, the Bible declares. There's not one person in this room who doesn't need the grace and mercy of God. We've all fallen short. We all need Him. Come tonight, you who's in that place as well, and cry out to God, oh, that you'd rend the heavens and come down. I invite you to come as I just pray this prayer and we're going to sing this song. If you want someone to pray specifically for you, come over to the right. We'll have some people here who will pray, including myself and the pastors and others. But if you just want to come and just present yourself to God and say, Lord, here I am. I'm dry. I need a breakthrough, God. I need you, Jesus. I need to turn from this evil in my life, this sin, so that I can experience you afresh, God. I come. Father, we pray tonight for everyone. Like Isaiah, we pray, O oh Lord, that you'd rend the heavens and you should come down. That, Lord, mountains would quake before you. As when the fire that would set twigs ablaze and cause water, Lord, to boil, that you'd come down and make your known, make name known to us, O oh God. Come, O oh God, and do awesome things that we do not expect. Because, Lord, you are our Father. You are gracious, compassionate, kind, and loving. Lord, we are the clay and you are the potter. We yield ourselves under your hand. So God, glorify your name and use us tonight. Transform us into the image of your Son. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people, God. So just as we sing this song, I invite you to come. Come, just you and God, just come and do business. If you want prayer, sure, over here, but no one's going to judge you or think ill of you just because you're coming forward. It's a good thing to do. Let's get ourselves right with God, eh? Let's do that together.